The first reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 145. I exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Here ends the first reading. The second reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on, high, on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Loving and gracious God, you speak. Do we hear your voice? You talk. Do we understand what we're hearing? You provide. Do we really understand and appreciate all that we have been given? Open our ears our eyes, our hearts, our minds, to see all the ways in which not only are you speaking to us, but through us. Bless and encourage the gift that you've given to us of your own dear Son as his life, ministry, love, peace, joy, hope, forgiveness. Take root in us and grow and become a part of who we are, evident in what we say and do on your behalf. And so we ask this now, that you would strengthen us through Christ for all of these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if you've ever had the experience that the people of Israel had had to which Isaiah was speaking in the lesson you just heard from Isaiah 40. People had been cut off, they felt, from God's grace and love. They had been removed from the place where they thought God had settled them forever, where they would be a light for all the nations, where they would be God's people, Israel, 
living under God's commands, living with the blessing and the peace of knowing that their God, the creator of everything that existed, was the one who would support and encourage them in all things, even in the face of their enemies. The book of Isaiah it tells really three stories of the people of God in this journey of understanding where it is that God is speaking in our lives. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah delivers words of prophecy and doom. He's telling the people of Israel, you're blowing it. You are so far from God. You've moved so far from the God that you keep saying is in your hip pocket. And God is going to take seriously these things that you've done, and there's going to be a consequence. And there was. The people of Israel found that their land was invaded first by Assyria and then by the Babylonians. That Everything they knew about their life was going to be taken from them. They themselves were taken from Israel to Babylon and held in captivity there, which made possible the movies that we saw about the looking for the lost ark with Indiana Jones. We had an opportunity to maybe take a moment as we looked at, at how these people, so far removed from what they understood to be their relationship with God, would ever believe and trust that God could work in their lives again. And then comes Isaiah, again, the same voice that had prophesied doom and gloom and punishment and retribution, coming to them and saying, God's voice is speaking again. God's voice is wanting to reach into that place where you didn't think it could ever be heard again and assure you of something, that God's word will stand forever. This text, this Isaiah 40 text, has been haunting me for most of my adult life. It was a, a text that I first really remember hearing and thinking about in a Bible class at seminary. And then, having been moved by those words to wonder what it could say to me in my life, and especially the, the Revised Standard Version translation, where it talks about the word of our God standing forever, and that the people not our grass, but is grass. Surely the people is grass. That, that sentence stuck with me. I thought, well, it's grammatically incorrect. There must be something wrong with this translation. But it really says a lot about who we are and who God is, or who we're not and who God is. I chose to have this be one of the readings when I was ordained in 1984 in my home congregation down in Solana Beach, Calvary Lutheran. I chose to have this text read when I had been elected bishop and was being installed about three plus years ago. I've been writing sermons on this text for well, 27 years, and I don't think I've gotten it right yet. I'm still wondering what it is that God has yet to say to me that will help this text become clearer to me about the ways in which not God is calling me to speak and act as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus. And thankfully, I've had some good teachers along the way in that. One of them is my spouse. My wife, Debbie, is a high school principal. Yes, I'm married to a high school principal. Think of your high school principal. Okay. It's not that bad, really. No, <laughs> it's actually amazing. Debbie is what I consider to be one of, the, one of the most gifted educators that I've ever met. And I may be a little biased, but I hear this consistently from all kinds of people who work with her, who have experienced her as a first elementary school teacher, a high school teacher, then a K-8 principal, and now a high school principal for 10 years at a school that has 2,800 students and 250 staff, is very diverse. There are no less than four active gangs that have members 
who are students at her school. Debbie can interact with the students there in a way that I cannot. She loves high schoolers. I tolerate high schoolers. She loves high schoolers. She thinks they're great, amazing people. She gets to work with them. And what's really amazing is even as she is dispensing the rules as the principal to a student who may have forgotten that you're not supposed to wear your pants down here or that it's really okay for you to let aside the fact that you're a gang member and to have this high school be the one place where that won't matter in your life, where you can come and take a chance at learning and growing and figuring out who it is that you are being called to be. She does this with amazing grace. She can look at people that would scare most of us with a smile on her face and with respect and help them understand that she's calling them to something different. And they listen. And they understand. She and I were at a retreat one time. And I think she was really wrestling with this same question that Isaiah was asking. What shall I cry? God, you've given me words. You've given me grace. You've given me your love. What, it is, what is it that I can say to this people that you've called me to serve? How is it that I can speak on your behalf? We were on a retreat together for clergy and spouses, and, and we were writing down what deep questions are we dealing with at this point in our lives. And Debbie wrote, I have students. The most common voice they hear is somebody screaming at them, telling them they're no good, beating them trying to destroy their will and their personhood. What can I say to them as their principal? What can I say to them as someone who wants to believe that I've been called to make a difference in a life like this? She's still answering that question too. But it's not always what she says, it's who she is and how she walks with these students, how she comes up alongside of someone who she just knows is not having a good day, and without saying a word, just putting her arm around them and walking with them for a while and hearing a little bit more about what's going on in their life and maybe finding a resource or a way in which they can believe that there's another voice that can speak to them besides that voice that shouts at them about how little they're worth or how they're never going to go anywhere in their life. That's the part of this text that I'm wrestling with. Not what do I say as a pastor, but how do I speak as one who's supposed to speak for God every day in my life when I'm walking through a park and encountering a homeless person? How do I speak as one who's supposed to speak on behalf of God for the people that come into my life every day who really haven't yet understood the gift of Jesus Christ and how it literally changes their lives. Not because I'm a bishop or I'm a pastor, but because of what gift that has been to me in my own life as a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure where you're headed in your life or where you've been. I'm not sure what your major is. I'm not sure what it is that you're anticipating that you're going to be able to use the, the gifts that God has given you to put to use in a daily life and yet as a life that's committed to saying, and somehow I want God to talk through me. But I know that it happens on a regular basis through people like my wife, Debbie. I believe it can happen through you. There's a story that I want to end with that I just think powerfully illustrates this. It's about another educator, a teacher 
from Stockton. Does anybody know the name or recognize the name Jose Hernandez? Jose Hernandez lives in the Stockton area now. He grew up in the Stockton area. Jose Hernandez is probably one of a number of people who live in the San Joaquin Valley who have the name Jose Hernandez. There is a very large Hispanic population in the valley. Jose Hernandez was uh, a seven-year-old student who, when he was finished with school, would go out and work with his parents in the asparagus fields around Stockton to support his family. When he was in second grade, he had a teacher who noticed something about Jose that was unusual. He had a great gift for math and science. He had a real gift. Jose would spend each school year traveling up and down the valley with his migrant worker family to pick whatever crops were ready to pick. So he would sometimes attend four or five schools within a single year and then come back to those schools the next year and do it all over again. This teacher decided that she needed to do something about this. She went to Jose's parents and she said to them, your son has a gift. I want to encourage you to do something. And I don't know why I have the right to ask you this, but I'm wondering, is there any way you can choose not to move with the crops this year or again so that Jose might have a chance to develop these skills that I'm seeing in him by being in one classroom, having relationships with one school? And she worked to help the parents figure out how they could do that financially. And Jose ended up finishing that year at that school and his elementary education there, and then went on to Franklin High School and graduated with honors, and went on to University of Pacific and, and the California Berkeley and got graduate degrees, and went to work at Lawrence Livermore Lab as a physicist, and applied for 14 years running to be an astronaut. Jose Hernandez flew on one of the last shuttle flights. He wasn't the first Hispanic astronaut, but he was the first to tweet in Spanish from space. <laughs> All because one person saw something and dared to speak in a way that I think was reflective of what God is asking us to do every day. To speak on behalf of God and to take the risk and to not only say something, but to do something that makes a difference in people's lives. Jose Hernandez, a field worker as a child, an astronaut as an adult, has now begun a foundation. And the way that I know Jose Hernandez well is because he's come to my wife's high school and given out scholarships with his Reach for the Stars Foundation because he knows that now it's time for his voice to speak and for his life to do something that acts on behalf of God. God is talking, and God will talk through us if we open our lives and take the risk to do that. And so I pray for all of us that we discern what it is that God has given to us that is the gift that we can use that will best help reach out and into the lives of others and let them know that God is not nearly so far away as we might have imagined. May God bless you and walk with you in your journey to discern how it is that God is asking you to speak.